I do think women lead differently, and I do think it's clearly made a difference in those countries that are led by women. And I think it's made a difference in businesses that have a number of women at the top, even if it isn't the CEO. Anne Finucane has been called a global powerhouse. Indeed, she's appeared on the most powerful women's list from Forbes, Fortune, and more. As vice chairman of Bank of America, Anne oversees the bank's strategic positioning while also leading the company's ESG, sustainable finance, and public policy efforts. She's also chair of Bank of America Europe. I'm Milan Verveer, and this is Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. We are bringing you 100 of the world's most inspiring and history-making women you need to hear. Anne Finucane has been pivotal in how Bank of America has led through the COVID response. And she's also been responsible for the bank making a billion-dollar commitment to programs that promote racial and economic equality in communities across America. One of the many things that make Anna stand out is her support for women inside and outside the bank. She's been responsible for launching the bank's many innovative and impactful programs that boost women's entrepreneurship and financial security. I've been delighted to know Anne for many years. I've seen firsthand the tremendous difference she has made in the world. Listen and learn why Anne Finucane is one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. Well, it's terrific, Anne, to have you with us today. You have quite a list of achievements and hold quite a portfolio. So let's step back for a moment and tell our listeners, what was it about your background or your growing up that defined you and made you the leader that you are today? Well, thank you for calling me a leader, Milan. I think what for me is my family life. I am from a large Irish Catholic family uh, with two older brothers and an older sister and then two younger sisters and uh, a pretty liberal uh, family, although I wouldn't have known it growing up. Uh, But, you know, you learn that when you get out into the world. Uh, My father was always pushing us to think for ourselves and and, uh, in the Catholic Church, particularly amongst the Jesuits, they have a saying that conscience reigns supreme, which meant that you had to rely on your conscience, which meant you had to be informed. And um, so as a result, that was what was expected. And over time, in my very formative years, uh, I was in high school when so much chaos, 1968, uh, occurred. I had uh, two older brothers that were in the um, lottery draft. One got a very low number. One got a very high number. Uh, the campuses were closed down by 1970 on May Day so that you couldn't, the, the kids in college couldn't finish their college classes. By then, uh, Bobby Kennedy had been assassinated and Martin Luther King before him. So it was such a turbulent time. We were watching conventions that were riots in the streets in Chicago. So it was hard not to be compelled to be uh, alert. 
to have your conscience uh, uh, direct you and to be informed was to know all of that was going on. The war in Vietnam was under great contention and not embraced in my household. So um, I think that's what probably formed my early years. And uh, what followed was a series of jobs that all together got me to where I am today at Bank of America. Well, you're truly a leader. And when you mentioned uh, a saying of the Jesuits, I was also thinking about women and men for others. And you have certainly been for others. And I know that during the time uh, that you've had now, illustrious time at Bank of America, the financial institutions have had to face many challenges, not the least of which today is COVID, which has set all of our lives upside down and, and, and certainly institutions and everybody who is impacted by it. How did it uh, affect the bank? And what did you see happening to your clients as this plays out? Uh, and how has the bank responded? Well, you know, the present is always uh, affected by the past. And 10 years ago, we went through the financial crisis when banks were not beloved. And there are so many things we wish we had done better. And so over the last 10 years, we've really had an opportunity to uh, form this, this focus on what we call responsible growth. And what that means is really thinking through every time you do something what value is it to your customers, your clients, your employees, your your communities, and to your shareholders? And it, it really makes a difference because it is what has informed our uh, $20 an hour minimum wage. It is what has informed our increased maternity, paternity leave. It has informed our um, decisions on... Um, prison reform and 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 on gun control because you're really thinking through what is in the best interest of all the communities and constituents we serve and sometimes they're hard decisions to make but in that time period I think we made some very good decisions so when covid hit we were prepared certainly not for the length or the magnitude of it but for the idea that a crisis could hit we had already had several hurricanes uh, we had, you know, so many sort of uh, preambles that this was something that we had at least prepared for in part. And what we did is try to lean right in in the beginning. And for over eight months now, most of the employees at the company, and I'm talking about 85 percent of the employees work from home and nearly all of them are working and working from home. We told them early on in March that no one would be laid off. So now everyone takes a sigh of relief and can think about their job, not whether they're going to have the job. Uh, we try to make sure for those either coming into the office, we're considered an essential service. So our banking centers, or people may call them branches, had to be open, trading floor had to be open. For those people coming in, making sure their transportation to and from the office was safe, uh, that their meals were brought in, that they had masks and plexiglass and all of that. But also for people at home, same thing, not the plexiglass, but whether you came into the office or you were at home, if you had children, we um, provided you with a stipend every day to bring somebody in to help with the children. So that could be a sister, an aunt, an uncle, an 
niece, a nephew, a kid in the neighborhood, so that we could uh, do two things. One, put your mind at ease that the kids were being looked after. And two, maybe give some employment to someone that now had lost a job. So it's those kind of very practical things. Now, with our clients, we uh, immediately let people know that if they needed to defer payments on credit cards, auto loans, mortgage, small business, they could do that. Uh, It was interesting, though. Many asked for it. In the end, uh, a whole lot of them didn't really avail themselves of it. Now, I think part of it was the stimulus package. And part of it is that for, for some industries, it, it was not as onerous as we thought it might be. But uh, we did that immediately. We uh, were the largest uh, PPP, uh, that's the government program, uh, payroll protection program uh, with the government. We were the largest. Um, we had the most amount of small businesses apply for that. Um, 375,000, I think. So we had to put a lot of people against that. Um, But that was important. So you had to first give them the flexibility that they didn't have to pay right away uh, what their bills were because they needed to be able to center like what they had and what they didn't have, and then try to help get these um, uh, PPP loans done. And um, that just gives you a sort of a, a brief sense of some of what we did for our consumer and small business clients. And then we worked with uh, more sophisticated commercial clients on all sorts of things to try to realign their work. Well, that's a, a really extensive list of reaching out and responding to, you know, so many of the things that you mentioned in terms of job security and, and child care became so essential and are essential. And you've been so responsive. It's, it's very impressive. You know, we also saw this year these massive calls for racial and social justice, which so affect our society from one coast to the other. You all have been extremely responsive in that regard as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Anne? So, you know, it's interesting. During the pandemic, we had also put, we uh, philanthropically give $250 million away. Uh, that's cash. There are other things we do in kind, but cash. In the 90 markets in which we operate in, which would think of those as cities or major towns or regions. Uh, we added to that, we committed another $100 million to support and then address the pressing needs of um, related to coronavirus. And what was apparent to us and clearly captured in the press is uh, communities of color were uh, affected uh, much more than any other community, both in job loss and in being affected by, uh, affected by the virus itself. So. This was on our mind. Uh, Andrew Plepler, who you've met and runs, um, directs the daily uh, ESG efforts, had also worked with our outside uh, group, our national advisory community, our national community advisory uh, council, and this is uh, leaders of the civil rights movement. uh, Affordable housing. I'm talking about the NAACP, Urban League. Unidos uh, series and a number of others. So they they are in civil rights. They are in um, uh, uh, 
affordable housing. They are in the green space. And we met with them, help us think this through. So the extent of the Black community particularly being affected and, and also the Hispanic community or Latinx was extensive. And so we thought we need to do something here we need, and we could do something. Uh, so amongst ourselves, we, we had been working on this led by Andrew and then the George Floyd murder happened. And uh, what we were going to do needed to be accelerated in two ways, in time and in money. Um, and that is when on June 2nd, we made a commitment of $1 billion, a four-year commitment, and that would be $1 billion we wouldn't have otherwise spent. So we could have made it $30 billion if we threw everything in that we would probably do in the next four years on affordable housing, small business, et cetera. But this was really intended to do something we wouldn't have done in that time frame, and, and sort of creating jumpstart money, if you will. So you really expanded your commitment in a very significant way and a very practical way in all of the things that the bank is doing. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear will be back after this short break. I know you are especially proud and with good reason of the women's programs that you have launched. I have seen that firsthand. And I think that the bank is a a truly exemplary leader on these issues. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what you're doing internally for your female employees and externally, because you do so much that impacts the quality of life for women, certainly for entrepreneurs and others in this country and outside of the country. Thanks for asking that. First, I think it has made a difference. Brian Moynihan is our CEO and is a very uh, enlightened leader. Uh, and in, in in his time as CEO and chair, we have had uh, roughly 40% of the women in management are uh, at, at the exact 40% of the executive management team have been women. About half the half the company is certainly women. Nearly half are in management. Uh, the board is a reflection of that too. Now that didn't all happen in a day, but it did happen over time. And um, you know, once you get diversity, both in terms of gender and color, at the top of the house, a lot of conversations take place that weren't going to take place before then. You know, if all women are together, what we might talk about, and if all men are together, you know what they might talk about. But when we're together, somebody says, hold on, I didn't get that. And it opens up a door that just otherwise wouldn't be open. So that was really the beginning of I think moving forward internally, and we have mentorship programs, sponsorship programs for women. We have forums and classes, and we're assigned to people, or we assign ourselves, and that's all worked very effectively. But I have to say, even um, years ago in the late '90s, as I watched Hillary Clinton and you at her side. And the role that you played with the women of Northern Ireland in the um, 
Good Friday Agreement. It was very impressive. And I remembered it. I didn't know what we could do about it, but I remembered it. And I wouldn't have been in a, a in an elevated enough position probably to do much more than know about it and do something. I was at a smaller bank. We had later been acquired by Bank of America. But anyway, uh, I remembered all of it. And um, I was um, on the board of the American Ireland Fund. So we had gone to Northern Ireland and met with the women um, subsequent to your initial uh, foray. So I was impressed and, and so noted. Fast forward some years later, and you were um, with the Obama administration, and uh, I think we met somewhere along the line when you were um, U.S. ambassador for women. And I don't know if you even remember this, but we had a meeting in California. You went through what you thought we could do, and uh, you really pushed me. So the first thing we did is we... uh, had a uh, meeting with Vital Voices. I suggested to them, we th- I thought we could do something together. Uh, later, we met with Kathy Russell at uh, the State Department, and we established the Global Ambassadors Program, which were mentors, uh, usually from the developed world, but not always, in the areas of medicine, business, uh, government, or education, meeting with women in emerging markets who had all the talent but not all the tools. And this was one-on-one, a week-long one-on-one forum with um, help from experts and then a forum at the end of that. And we did that all over the world. But as good as it was, we were helping dozens of women and maybe one day 100 or 200 women, but that's surely not enough. So from there, we also, while keeping that going, uh, met with Cherie Blair to do the uh, her, her uh, mentoring program, which is all online and was really sort of before it was de rigueur to do that. And the online mentoring program meant that we could have thousands of women, and we've had about 2,700 women that we have uh, worked with, entrepreneurs again, skill building, how to uh, ask for and get capital, a business plan, et cetera. That begot a relationship with Tori Birch, who in the United States, so the program with Sheree Blair was also Emerging Markets. Tori Birch, who was a client, met with us to ask for some advice on women she was mentoring. And she said, you know, they all need a loan before they have any of the credentials. They don't, you know, they don't, they haven't made any money. They, uh, they may not have the best business plan. So we said, okay, well, we and other established banks would have a hard time uh, giving small business loans that were totally insecure unsecured and also probably wouldn't pass muster with the regulators, but we do provide money for community development financial institutions who in turn at lower rates, because we get them the money at lower rates and because we give them philanthropic money to staff themselves, they can uh, provide lending to these women and they can also provide um, mentorship and sponsorship. I mean, really helping them with business plans. And then we could step in and help too. 
And that has been great. We made a $50 million commitment that's now a $100 million commitment. And it's for those women at an earlier stage in their um, business. So each of these has begotten yet another thing. And and, uh, in each case, what we're trying to do is apply what we learned from the last one and create a new opportunity. And finally, as you know better than anyone, because you helped us do it, we, um, through your help and uh, Kim Azzarelli's help, we established a program with uh, Cornell. And this is an online program that uh, allows for a certificate at the end of it. It's a course selection and a certificate all done online. And we've had 20,000 women go through that. And 80% of them have been uh, women of color and from all over the world. So each of these has been, it's been, uh, you know, over time, understanding what we didn't know and building on that. And it's just been great. First of all, I hardly pushed you in. You've always been deeply committed to making a difference. I remember an event in in Dublin a couple of years ago with one of the peace negotiators from Northern Ireland, and she talked about what it meant to be validated and supported. Uh, Returning to the subject of COVID, Anne, I wanted to ask you about women's leadership, because what we've seen in the COVID crisis is that women heads of state and heads of government have done exceptionally well in dealing with the crisis in their countries. Do you think women's leadership makes a difference? And perhaps you could talk about how that plays out in business and how, in fact, we might get more women into leadership. So I do think women lead differently. And I do think it's clearly made a difference in those countries that are led by women. And I think it's made a difference in businesses that have a number of women at the top, even if it isn't the CEO, because if you can get into the C-suite or be in the equivalent in executive management, you're really at the table to make decisions. And I I am fortunate enough to have the ability and the resources, both in people and in finances, to, to have our company do a whole lot of things that I think any company could do if that's where you want to put your money. And I think women think very practically, and I think we think very holistically. If a woman or a man cannot leave their house because their child is being unsupervised, or they can't go to school, or you're sick with worry that that job isn't going to be there the next day, how can you perform well? If the communities in which you work and live and your economy requires to be operating, So that would be the case of a bank. If small businesses aren't operating, if people aren't working, they're not putting money into a banking account, they're not paying their bills, you got to be part of that solution. So you got to ease the waters a little bit. You have to say, hold off on those payments if that's going to help make some other things happen. You know, we can tack them onto the other side of 36 months or 30 years. Those three months aren't going to matter. They're just going to be on the back end of that. So you just think in terms of very practical things. I'm, I don't know that men don't. I just think that women always have had to do that for centuries, millenniums. We have been 
multitasking in the home and, you know, more recently outside the home, but we couldn't shirk or shake the home uh, requirements. And so we just think practically. And I really do think that makes a difference. And it makes a huge difference in a company if enough women are at the table, because you kind of go through the checklist the way you would with anything. And I don't think the men resist it. I just think it's an additive that makes a huge difference. And we've been talking about Bank of America's commitment to social and economic impact. I know you're also deeply committed to environmental sustainability. In fact, you mentioned green spaces early on. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, the environment is is m- much like many issues. It's it's an issue that affects uh, everybody, and in very fundamental ways. And in a way that honestly, it's always interesting in the U.S. it's political, but nowhere else in the world is the issue of sustainability, uh, uh, reducing our carbon footprint, such a problem. But in any case, just just dealing with it as as an issue at hand, I mean, we all have to be grateful to the sustainable development goals that were established out of the U.N. and so many countries embraced because of those 17 sustainable development goals, so many of them are uh, affected by, by the environment or, or could be improved by the environment. Clean water, clean air, uh, these uh, health issues, the reduction of asthma, the reduction of disease, the the production of women and men who don't go miles to get clean water to bring it back to their homes. So uh, like the other initiatives, you know, you wake up and you, uh, you, you sort of step into these things and you think, wait, I could do that. Initially, we were confronted, this is 15 years ago at a annual uh, shareholders meeting by Sierra Club and others who said, you are doing too much in the fossil fuels and you are allowing for uh, fossil fuel companies to, particularly coal companies, to do mountaintop sharing. And I have to say it was more ignorance than it was intent. Uh, the CEO at the time, Ken Lewis, said, uh, asked me to stand up, told the environmentalists they'd be hearing from me. And within a few weeks, we were meeting I went with them to West Virginia to, to look at the mountaintop shearing and its effect. And we immediately said we wouldn't do it anymore, that we would eliminate that and began a rather formidable um, environmental program. In 2007, we said that we would do $20 billion of environmental business, meaning underwriting renewables of some sort. And I thought I had no idea how that would happen. But within three or four years, we had done it. I mean, we got people together and we figured out how to do it. And today, just fast forward to today, we have already done $158 billion of environmental business. Uh, And this is not greenwashing. This is, you know, you can tick and tie this to the letter. Uh, We're the largest underwriter of green bonds, the largest um, provider of tax equity. We have done thousands of, of efforts in terms of energy efficiency, in uh, renewable energy, solar, wind, you know, moving into the value of hydrogen. 
our research group has published six or seven reports that are completely objective that demonstrate that those that commit to ESG, environmental, social, and governance tenants, can demonstrate that they are less apt to go bankrupt and they operate more effectively and they are uh, less apt to hear, you know, hear uh, negative noise from their shareholders. So there's real value here. And it's different for every kind of business. It's, every, it's not cookie cutter. It's uh, packaged goods companies are really looking at uh, their supply chain and the use of plastic and too much paper. Real estate companies are looking at energy efficiency when they're building a building or when they do a retrofit. So um, we've really enjoyed not only benefits from doing this work, uh, but also we have enjoyed uh, profits from this work now. We ourselves are carbon neutral and we are poised, I hope, for, uh, you know, what I think will be a very aggressive push out of Europe with the Green Deal to get to net zero by 2050 and halfway there by 2030, which means you had to have started by now to get to carbon neutral. And I've always known you to be positive and upbeat. And here we are talking about the COVID crisis and climate and racial injustice, so many really tough topics. What makes you optimistic? Well, I have a very simple kind of bellwether, and it's uh, recognizing energy givers from energy takers. I certainly don't want to be an energy taker myself, but I'm so attracted to energy givers and they uh, infuse me with energy. Honestly, they do. And they, and thinking. So I said years ago, you pushed me into something. Well, whether you knew it or not, you know, I, I didn't know enough about what was possible and you have to be in the company of people that can educate you. So the ability to listen, particularly to energy givers, and then take in that information and think, how could I apply this? So you might not think that you had that effect, but you did have that effect because I thought, well, this is a good thing to do. And each of the things, particularly around the initiatives on women, one begot the next. It was uh, recognizing this is a good thing, but I've just met another group of women and we could do more. And I don't want to diffuse it so much that it's a thousand lights that end up to be nothing but a string of lights. I want it to be something that becomes a true uh, pinnacle, but, but building on it. And you meet women and men that energize you. They have ideas, they challenge you. And I don't know about you, but I, I do know you feel this way that, that it sort of gets you to the next day. It's, it's just, it's worth it. And thank you so much for joining us today and agreeing to do this interview. I've been privileged to know you, and it's wonderful to be able to bring your words and wisdom to our listening audience. So thank you, Anne Finucane, Vice Chair of Bank of America, Global Powerhouse, and thank you, too, for leading the way for our country and world are a better place because of it. Thank you, Milan, and thank you for being a good friend. I appreciate it. Listening to Anne Finucane is so inspiring. She's the true definition of leadership. Here are just a few of the points I took from the conversation. First, when you let your conscience lead you, you can do so much good in the world. 
Anne Finucane has done that since childhood, as she quoted from the Jesuits. Conscience reigns supreme. Second, the Bank of America programs Anne has led are truly game-changing. Providing assistance during COVID, the billion-dollar commitment to promote racial and economic equality, the programs for women entrepreneurs, and those to sustain the environment. All impactful, all groundbreaking. Finally, Anne shows us that we can make a difference if we're always ready to listen and to learn, to learn from the energy givers, the innovators, the people who show what's possible. Tune in on Thursday to learn about our next featured woman and discover why she's one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear is a collaboration between the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. If you like what you heard on the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. We hope you'll join us for our next episode of 100 Women to Hear, where we can all listen, learn, and get inspired. Have a great day.